Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Well, thanks a lot, uh, you here in the sanctuary and over in the Baker Center for wearing your name tags. This is week number two of Name Tag November, and the goal here is just to learn some names. It can be so, uh, you know, kind of easy to get into the rhythm of life and feel like you should know someone's name, but you've known them for 24 years and you're embarrassed to ask, you know, that kind of a thing. So... I uh, appreciate that. It's good to just have those name tags. And, and uh, you know, what's in a name is, is what we're kind of looking at this whole month. What's in a name? And just to tell a little bit about my name, I'm actually named after my father, William Joseph Bowser II. So that's my actual write it down on my social security card name. But uh, I was given a nickname from birth, Jody, and uh, a little bit of the story on that, as I understand it, is uh, my grandpa on my dad's side was William Jacob, and so he kind of had the name Bill. So when William Jacob had William Joseph, my father, they, they gave him the nickname Joe off his middle name when he was a kid. So my dad grew up Joe, and, uh, and then, okay, flip, he starts dating my mom back in high school, and... Uh, and then my mom had a much older half-brother. Uh, her dad had been married and had lost his wife, but they had a son named Joe that was, I don't know, 15 or 20 years older, a good bit older than my mother. And his name was Joe, and her dad, who died the year I was born, evidently nicknamed him Jody, or, or liked the name Jody, called him that. And so when my dad started dating my mom, who was around the house a little bit, Apparently, Dad kind of got that nickname, too, and so uh, I was a little bit of a late-in-life child for my parents, and so they gave me my dad's namesake, William Joseph II, but then from birth, decided to just call me Jody. So that's a little bit about my name and, and where that comes from, and uh, I can't preach on this concept of what's in a name without taking us all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. I'd love it if you'd join me in Exodus chapter 3. Because what we see here in Exodus 3 is there is so much in this passage, verses 1 down to, down to 15, that gets at this question of what is in a name. So uh, let's look together at Exodus 3. Now Moses, who... We know the meaning of his name, right? How many of you know the meaning of Moses' name? How did he get his name? It means literally drawn out of the water, right? Did you know that? Drawn out of the water because Pharaoh's daughter, if you know the story, uh, Moses was uh, conceived there in slavery and his mom put him in a little wicker basket and floated him down the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter found him and gave him this name which means I drew you out of the water, literally. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his uh, wife's dad, father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian. He was a priest, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. I've always been struck by that, the far side of the wilderness. I mean, let's just start with the concept of wilderness. Isn't wilderness like in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. So when you get to the backside of the middle of nowhere, are you not like about as where, where in the world is that that you can possibly be? And uh, so he's literally on the backside, the far side of nowhere, a place where you would think nobody would know he was at. And yet, sure enough, here he is, uh, and he comes to this mountain. This mountain is called Horeb, which becomes a very important spot because this is exactly, as we'll see even in the story as God talks to Moses, the same spot, which is the middle of nowhere, that God commands Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and they come right back to this place. So it's even at this place, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same place, the mountain of God. Which, by the way, I'll just say much later, Elijah the prophet, when he is persecuted by the queen, Jezebel, he runs, takes him 40 days to run to this very same spot. And uh, it's interesting how this place becomes, this middle of nowhere place becomes such an important place. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses sees that though the bush is on fire, it's not burning up. Supernaturals. Grabs his attention. He thinks, okay, what's this? I'll go check this out. Strange sight. Why this bush isn't burning up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God then calls to him from within the bush, calls his name twice, Moses, Moses. Moses said, wait, what? <laughs> Pretty much what he had to have said. Here I am. Don't come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals. This place you're standing is holy, holy, means sacred, set apart, sanctified, unique, it wasn't unique because it was the middle of nowhere. It was unique because God showed up. So wherever God is, is holy ground. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Whole bunch of names. But you know what I see there? I see upper story. We've talked a lot about upper story and lower story. And what is happening in this moment is the, is the upper story is colliding with the lower story. I am the God of the upper story, which, by the way, these things, the upper story had taken place four to five hundred years earlier. Moses comes basically 500 years after Abraham. He is saying, I am the God of the upper story. You know this story you've heard about? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm the God of your forefathers. He's, he's connecting Moses to this story, and he's saying, you're in the story. At this, Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. The Lord then said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come to rescue 
I got to say, there's a hundred sermons right there. I, I've heard, I see, I care, and I will rescue you. I love that. That's who God is. I am the Lord who does this. I see, I hear, I care, I come. And I, I have come to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians. Oh, it was a place Moses knew well. Forty years earlier, he was second in command in Egypt to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home, oh, this, by the way, you can read right through this and kind of miss what's going on. This is the land of Israel, Canaan. He says, I'm going to bring you into, th this place is awesome. It flows metaphorically with milk and honey. Oh, and by the way, a lot of other people live there right now. Hmm. It's not going to be easy. This is the home of the Canaanites, Hivites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Moses then asks God a series of questions. Two questions here in chapter 3. It wraps around into chapter 4. I see him asking about four questions, but the first two questions are, okay, who am I that you're giving me this job, and who are you? <laughs> who am I? That was his first question right there in verse 11. That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Oh, and by the way, according to Exodus chapter 7, verse 7, just four chapters later, doesn't say it here, but we learn that Moses is 80 years old. He's no spring chicken. He's 80. Far side of the desert, middle of nowhere, all by himself. He's alone. In a place that he doesn't think anyone can see him. And he's 80. I think it's in a way a legitimate question. Who, real, what? Who am I? God said, oh, it's not who you are, it's who I am in you. I will be with you. At this, and there will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, what does he say? You're going to bring them right back here. So when you show up right back here, you're going to know that I'm doing a really, really big thing. Verse 13, second thing Moses says, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you. And they say, what is his name? Hmm. Names are a big deal. What am I going to say? What am I going to tell them? God says, I am who I am. That's what you're to say. I am. Has sent me to you. God also said, okay, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Huge word, forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This was 3,500 years ago, and here we are today. Wow, we're in the story. Who are we crying out to? The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am who I 
am. If you have a little textual note, it, it then indicates that this also can mean I will be who I will be. It's not just, it's not just uh, a present or past tense. It is future tense. It is, it is a verb that indicates not only present action but future action. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And then he says this, the Lord, the Lord. Look at it. Look at it in verse uh, 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you, the Lord. Let's talk about that word right there that, it, that appears. It is four letters in the Hebrew alphabet. yod Hey vav Hey. You knew that, right? <laughs> I took a semester of Hebrew 34 years ago, but I forgot that. Okay, I learned that again this week. Yod, hey, vav, hey. That literally is what the Jews call the tetragrammaton. Ooh, there's a $10 word for your notes. Tetragrammaton, four, tetragrammaton, word. This is the name of God. Y-H-W-H, it's from the verb hayah, which means to be. Where do we get the words Yahweh? Do you see it? Yahweh. We're not sure if, because there's no vowels in Hebrew. So we're not sure where actually to insert the vowels in this. So it could be two vowels with uh, Yahweh, two syllables, or it could be Yah or J, that, that Y sometimes can be pronounced J or J. Jehovah, Yahweh or Jehovah. These words Yahweh and Jehovah come from this same Hebrew word, the tetragrammaton that God gives Moses here, which simply means the Lord. Oh, and by the way, these four letters, sacred. So sacred. Look at the commands, right? Just in a few Months after all this plays out in Exodus 20, when they get back to the same spot, God says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Third commandment. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then in Leviticus, still gathered there at Mount Horeb, God says, say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord will be put to death. Oh my goodness, do we live in a country, in a land, in a culture. Oh. We can see Satan's fingerprints all over this, can't we? Just take the name of God and make it like dirt. Vulgar. You know what vulgar literally means? It means common. Common. That's what the word vulgar means. Common. What's God saying? You're never to make my name common. And for this reason, because of these commands, the Jews actually stopped pronouncing the name Yahweh. They wouldn't even say it for fear that somehow even from their heart they were blaspheming the name of God. 
the name of God, the tetragrammaton, the Lord held in such high regard that they hesitated to even say his name. And we see his name then, the Lord Yahweh. Yahweh brought up throughout passages of scripture, Yahweh Jireh. Actually, back with Abraham, before Moses, 500 years before Moses, God was already saying who he was. Yahweh Jireh. Abraham gave him this name in Genesis 22 in the same chapter where he is sacrificing his son Isaac on the altar and God provides the lamb and the, the, caught, the ram caught up in the thickets and, and Abraham says, you are Yahweh Jireh. You are God, my provider. We see in Exodus 15, just a few chapters after what we're reading here, Moses comes to this place where the people are drinking bad water and God says, throw a piece of wood into the water and it, it is restored and refreshed and this water then brought healing. God cries out, or Mo Moses cries out, Yahweh Rapha, you are the Lord who heals. God even says, I am Jehovah who heals you. God is Yahweh Rapha. Or we see just a couple of chapters later in chapter 17, after they run into this battle with the uh, Amalekites. I don't know if you know the story where as long as Moses held his hands up high, the battle went in favor of, of the Israelites. And so we have uh, Joshua and we have Aaron coming and holding his arms up. And sure enough, the battle goes to God. And, and Moses names that place, uh, the Lord is our banner, Yahweh Nisi. Banner understood here to be a rallying place, a desert victory. Or how about David in Psalm 23? The Lord is our shepherd, Yahweh Rohi. Or Gideon, back in Judges chapter 6, after, uh, after God shows up and Gideon tests him time and time again with the fleece and whether it would be wet or damp, and he wasn't sure if God was really calling him. And finally, Gideon cries out, the Lord our peace, Yahweh Shalom, the name given by Gideon to the altar he built after God assured him he would not die as he thought he would after seeing him. Turn with me over to Psalm 9. Psalm 9, I just, I, I want to show this to you. We're going to jump back to Genesis in a minute, but, and I could just read this for you, but I, I wanted you to turn over to Psalm 9 just to see this promise. Because David is so aware of the power of God's name. The power of God's name. So he writes this psalm. He says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, Yahweh. Right? Lord. So whenever you see that, capital L, Lord. Think the tetragrammaton. Yahweh. Jehovah. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause. You sit enthroned as a righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name, right? He's talking about the difference between the names of their enemies and the name of God. You've blotted their names out. Endless ruin has overtaken them. 
The Lord reigns forever. You, God, have established your throne for judgment. You rule the world in righteousness. You judge the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge to the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. I love that. How important is it to know the name of God? To know his name? And not just in our minds, not just in some religious sense, but to know his name. To cry out on him, on his name. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. See, this is where it goes beyond knowledge to intimate relationship. That's what's going on here. That's the, that's the important aspect of knowing God's name. This is not religion. This is relationship. (laughs) So turn with me back to Genesis. Told you I'd take you back there. I want to show you this story real quick before we move into our time of communion. Genesis chapter 16. What's going on here is God has promised, well, it was Abram and Sarai, it's very interesting, the meaning of names and all of this, because both of their names get changed, but this is, while there's still Abram and Sarai, and they've obeyed God, they've done what God has called them to do, they've left their land, and they've gone to the promised land, and good things are happening, God is making these promises, these covenants with Abram, and, and yet Abram, I mean, these are flawed people, people, <laughs> These are people who still like, "Eh, I don't know. I know you said you'd do that for me, God, but uh, I need to. That's what he does. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. God promised him descendants, but eh, God wasn't coming through. So she has this Egyptian slave named Hagar. She said to Abram, I got a plan. The Lord has kept me from having children. I want you to go and have sleep with with my slave. Maybe I can build a family through her. Abram agreed. He signed off. Oh, good one, Abram. So after Abram, this is not going to go well. You can feel it already, right? And there's going to be victims in all of this. See, this isn't just going to affect the two of them. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife, sleeps with Hagar, she conceives. When she knew that she was pregnant, when she, Sarai, knew that she, Hagar, was pregnant, she, Sarai, began to despise her, Hagar, then Sarai then says to Abram, you are responsible for Yeah, I put my slave in your arms. Now she knows she's pregnant. She hates me. May the Lord judge between me and you. It's your fault. Slave is in your hands, Abram said. Oh, good one, Abram. Way to step up. Slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Who's the victim in all of this? Oh, Hagar. What a train wreck. Sarai then mistreats, abuses Hagar. 
So over time, pregnant, Hagar flees from her. Where does Hagar end up? Hagar ends up, guess where? On the far side of the desert. Not necessarily Horeb, but away, alone, isolated, abused, victimized. Wow. Then the angel of the Lord finds Hagar. That gives me chills. She's near this spring in a desert. There's a spring beside the road to shore. And he said to Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? Oh, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord says, okay, go, go back. Submit. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Many biblical scholars do see this as the headwater of the Arab nations. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Ishmael. See how name? Wow. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Oh. She gave this name not only to her son later, but I love this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. She names God. She doesn't even know who God is, and yet she gives him a name. Why? Because God appeared to her. This God that she didn't know anything about. And she said, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This moves from religion to a relationship. How important was it for her to know the name of God? You know what? If all this sermon does is teach us the various names of God, that's not bad. That's good. But it accomplishes, let me just put it this way, very little. This still falls within the realm of religion, good education, knowing things. Yeah, that's good, but this isn't the purpose. This is about a relationship. If the Spirit stirs your heart, here, here's what I'm praying for, that the Holy Spirit right now will stir your heart to know that you can trust the Lord, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh is his name. Jehovah, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, who sees you. And if we can learn every day to fully trust him, that we can know that wherever we go, whatever we're experiencing, whatever hardship we're going through, First of all, it's not hardly, you're going to have a hard time topping where Hagar was. She was in a bad, bad spot, and yet God shows up. And what was she saying? You're the God who sees me. Because you show up, and you get me through, and you show me a way. I, I, I take us back to Psalm 9. Those who know your name trust in you. Not just because we know his names and have good notes. But because it's a relationship. Because we seek after him. You have never forsaken those 
who seek you. That's, that's, that's the message. That's the message. We gather today to celebrate a God who sees us. I have seen you. I hear you. Okay, this, this isn't just now quoting Exodus 3, right? You're listening. This is God speaking to you. I see you. I hear you. I care. And I will rescue you. Wow. Dear God, as we come to this table today, we hold in our hands the bread and the cup, the reminder to all of us that you are the God who sees me, who hears me, who cares and has come to rescue me. Jesus, we're going to hold in our hands right now your very body and blood, the reminder until you come again that you are the God who sees me, hears me, cares about me, and rescues me. Thank you, God, that we can gather today to worship Yahweh. Jehovah is your name. For those who know you, trust you. And you are the God who comes to the rescue of those who seek after you. We do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have the opportunity to hold the bread and the cup. I'm going to ask that you will hold them together. We'll eat them together and then drink them together. If you're new to the church, I want you to know this is an open table. You are welcome to partake of this, of this table, to receive Christ. But there's just one restriction that, that Jesus put on this. He says, don't ever think that this is a religious ceremony, that you're somehow gaining God's favor. This doesn't make you righteous. You don't work for anything. This is all about receiving and believing. So if by faith you receive what Christ has done for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if by faith you receive the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and want to offer your gratitude to him by partaking of him, then please, Please, by faith, take that bread, take that cup, and meditate, ponder, understand that we have a God that hears us, that sees us, that cares, and has come to rescue. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.